Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Jagmeet Singh says Canada must speak up as protests continue in the United States. When people are being killed simply for expressing their dissent, for protesting because they're frustrated and angry, you have to actually speak up. You cannot be a passive bystander. Canada cannot be a passive bystander. So I say this very clearly. What President Trump is doing is reprehensible. What President Trump is doing is inflaming hatred. It is divisive. It is wrong. Justin Trudeau positions Canada as a champion of a coordinated global COVID-19 recovery plan. Canada is not a a world leader when it comes to international aid. And uh, I think that there is a little bit of uh, campaigning going on here that uh, explains why Trudeau is positioning himself in this light. And as tensions continue to rise in China, the government says Canadians currently living in Hong Kong are welcome to come home. There are roughly 300,000 Canadians currently living in Hong Kong. All of those people are Canadian. And of course, dear Canadians living in Hong Kong, you are very, very welcome to come home anytime. It's Thursday, June the 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by John Iveson, columnist for the National Post. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. So Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, is saying Canada must speak up about the situation in the United States. He said that Justin Trudeau's silence for 21 seconds in response to a question from a journalist the other day uh, represents hypocrisy. What do you think about that? What should Canada be saying or not saying about what's happening in the U.S.? I think Justin Trudeau was actually quite right uh, with what was kind of categorized as the, the silence that was heard around the world. I mean, he made his point without actually having to make the point. And, you know, I think Elizabeth may even recognize the fact that uh, Trudeau is not an opposition leader. He is a uh, the leader of the party, the leader of the government, and his responsibility is to look out for the national interest. And there is no national interest in antagonizing the toxic narcissist that is Donald Trump. So I think his his behavior, far from being reprehensible, as Singh has condemned it, is actually understandable and and actually commendable. I mean, he he did, I think, communicate to most right-thinking people that he was condemning what was happening in the States, and he mentioned the fact that he viewed it with horror and consternation. So uh, no criticism from me. But what should Canada's role be going forward, if there's any role for Canada in this? Is, or, or is it just uh, an internal matter in the U.S.? Is that how we should view it? Well, I'm not sure that there is any role for Canada. I mean, you know, clearly Trudeau recognized the fact that systemic racism exists in Canada and that, that, that we're not immune to this problem, so we can't be hypocritical in, in, uh, in pointing a finger at the, the U.S. without addressing our own issue, which is what the government is, is, is doing, I guess. But, you know, the more concerning thing, I think, from a Canadian point of view, is that this internal turmoil is distracting America at a time of massive international crisis, not just with COVID, but uh, with the resurgence of China, its intentions in Hong Kong and the Taiwan Strait. You know, at the time when America is most needed, it is absent from the stage. And I think that 
Canada has to try and bring America back into the to the role of of a counterweight to to what China is doing. And we'll talk more about China in a moment. But just before we leave. Uh, Canada's reaction and and the reaction of Canadians to what's happening in the United States. Uh, let's talk for a moment about about former cabinet minister and former party leader Stockwell Day, uh, who has stepped down from his role as a commentator on uh, CBC and has left uh, board positions at a couple of companies because of comments that he made the other day, which he now admits were insensitive and hurtful. He <coughs> appeared to compare. Uh, his experiences uh, having been teased about wearing glasses as a child to racism and being a victim of racism. Um, what do you think about that? And was Stockwell Day's subsequent apology sufficient? Well, I was on that panel with Stockwell Day for, for quite a while. And, and, you know, he was always a very principled and reasonable voice of conservatism on the panel. But there was always always an inherent risk with being on that panel he in fact replaced Tom Flanagan, who had said something out of turn and was turfed in similar fashion. So I, I wasn't quite sure why, given the fact he was making a successful system of life and business with Telus, Macmillan and various other companies, why he would risk that, because there was always the potential for things to blow up as they have subsequently done. You know, I think it was very dangerous and naive for him to wade into a debate about which he's really not qualified to talk about, and that's the experience of of, uh, of racism in Canada. And to compare it to wearing glasses is almost, you know, almost laughable, to be honest. Uh, and, and I would have thought that he would have known better, but, you know, people say these things uh, in the heat of the moment and, you know, repent at leisure because he's now been uh, kicked off the TELUS board, he's no longer involved with Macmillan and... and uh, either by mutual consent or maybe by CBC's uh, unilateral decision, he's no longer on that panel. It's always a risk, and I think that uh, it's always a risk for any of us. It could be career-ending at any moment, but particularly when it's a kind of sideline. I mean, I'm sure financially it was hardly worth it to him. It's an interesting point, yeah. So let's turn to Canada's role in the global response and recovery from uh, the coronavirus crisis. Uh, Justin Trudeau has been talking about playing a leadership role in this. It's interesting in the context of what you said before about America playing a l- less of a leadership role in the world on many different issues, including this one. Is there a role for Canada to lead the way? Well, I think that uh, the, the, the stories were sparked by the fact that he was speaking to members of the Organization of African, Caribbean and Pacific States to discuss the global response to COVID-19 it's not a coincidence, I think, that he was talking at a time when Canada's bidding for a, a seat on the UN Security Council and the the crucial battleground between Canada, Ireland and Norway is Africa and the Caribbean. So Trudeau's been playing up Canada's close connections, the, the fact that it's uh, contributing to the, to the UN's COVID-19 response. But in truth, Canada's... Um, international commitments have been pretty disappointing. When you look at Canada's overseas development assistance uh, as a percentage of its gross national income, it's actually slipped since the Harper years. It's only 0.27%. Now, this is the figure, if you remember, that Bono and others were trying to campaign to get to 0.75%. Um, you know, the Norwegians, by comparison, spend 
2% of their gross national income. So Canada is not a, a world leader when it comes to international aid. And uh, I think that there is a little bit of uh, uh, campaigning going on here that uh, explains why um, Trudeau was positioning himself in this light. He was also talking economic recovery with the UN Secretary General last week, the Prime Minister of Jamaica. He presented a, uh, a, a some kind of strategy in the global response to the pandemic. But I think that, you know, as so often with Canada, as so often with Trudeau, the uh, the rhetoric has, has far outpaced the reality as far as financial contribution. And I guess the question is, uh, as well, we, you know, since we don't know exactly how recovery is going to take place and how soon, and uh, there's still a lot of details missing from this, right? Right, right. And I think that, you know, it's it's going to be a multilateral effort by implication. I think that, um, you know, Canada has continued to maintain strong support for the WHO. That organization is going to be in trouble without America's leadership so perhaps there is a role there for Canada to try and bring America back into the fold of the WHO. All right, let's talk about the situation in Hong Kong. Uh, the federal government, uh, Christia Freeland, the deputy prime minister, uh, has said uh, that Canadians currently living in Hong Kong are welcome to come home as the tensions rise in China. Uh, how do you see that playing out, and do you think a lot of Canadians will come home? Well, I think the question is not so much the... 300,000 Canadians that are that are um, living in Hong Kong, whether they come home or not, I think a, a number will, a number won't at the moment before it's not right. It's not clear yet what the law is actually going to say. It's clearly going to be uh, tightening down on, on security. It's clearly going to be an abrogation of the, the agreement that was signed with uh, at the handover with China in 1997. I think the bigger question, though, is the, the potential for for Hong Kong citizens who might want to leave, who are not Canadian or currently British citizens, is there a pathway to citizenship for them or is there a pathway to, to come into Canada as refugees for them? Trudeau was asked about this the other day and said, obviously, the, the Canadian citizens are welcome home and we have a vigorous immigration process, blah, 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 for the rest. Now... The, the, the British Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, went beyond that and said Canada and Britain and Australia are actually talking about a burden-sharing agreement, as he called it, which would see some kind of pathway to citizenship for those people if they wanted to emigrate. And I think a good number of them would, would prefer Canada over Britain or even perhaps Australia because of the, the, the links with the, 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 uh, the west coast of Canada. So I think that, uh, you know, this is we only know this because of the British, the, the, the useless readout note, which the, this government insists on putting out, uh, did say that uh, François-Philippe Champagne, the, uh, the global affairs minister, did talk to these other countries, but revealed absolutely nothing about the subject of the conversation. <clears throat> the British have now revealed the subject of that conversation. And it does seem there are other moves being made in Parliament to get the United Nations involved, to have some kind of special human rights envoy to monitor the, the British colony. So it seems increasingly that Canada is getting involved in what happens in Hong Kong. And I guess what we wait for now is the the, uh, the wording of the law from, from China. Yeah. All right. John, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Have a great day. Thanks, Mark. Same to you. That's John Iveson of the National Post. What President Trump is doing is reprehensible. 
What President Trump is doing is inflaming hatred. It is divisive. It is wrong. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues, Prime Ministerial pauses will abound as long as Donald Trump is in office. Mason writes, Justin Trudeau is likely to be challenged again to comment on events transpiring in the U.S. Given the severe ideological differences between the two leaders and given the heightening level of domestic strife we are observing in the U.S., I would imagine that holding his tongue will be increasingly difficult for Trudeau. But until Donald Trump no longer sits in the Oval Office, that is precisely what we should expect the Prime Minister will do. In the Ottawa Citizen, Terry Glavin argues what's happening in the U.S. is part of a global story of uprising against injustice. Glavin writes, It's only because of the wide bandwidth American culture occupies in the world's consciousness that many of us have forgotten that this year began with people rising up in Beirut, Moscow, Baghdad, Hong Kong, and on and on. Each of these places conforms in varying degrees with the conditions of despotism, in subjugation to varying forms of tyranny. What is happening in the U.S. is a piece of a worldwide phenomenon, but at the same time, it is very much a uniquely American story. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, cities need help not wrangling between senior governments. The star writes, The provinces and Justin Trudeau both say they understand the need and insist they're willing to help, but are waiting for the other guy to go first. Ottawa has done an admirable job in setting aside the usual political wrangling to rush money to individuals and businesses because that's what a crisis like this one requires. Trudeau and the premiers can't fall down on the job now. Cities need financial aid, period. This is not a time for jurisdictional games. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As the government continues to disperse and to fine-tune its financial aid programs for those affected by the COVID-19 shutdown, one group is still waiting for specific help, Canadians with disabilities. As CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, an announcement may be coming soon. Mark, the minister responsible for Canadians with disabilities, Carla Qualtro, was asked this week by Huffington Post when the federal government might finally announce measures to specifically help out Canadians with disabilities. The opposition NDP has been pressing the government for such measures for two months now. Minister Qualtro responded that an announcement was imminent, especially this week being National Accessibility Week. But the minister said she didn't want to scoop the prime minister. So that has many of us kind of expecting an announcement before the end of the week. Canadians with disabilities have faced a number of challenges specific to them during this pandemic. Drug dispensing fees have gone up, as have the fees for home delivery of food or medications, many of which handicapped Canadians depend on. Also, many day facilities and home therapy visits have been cancelled. And visually impaired Canadians have faced extra challenges navigating reconfigured public spaces, and many have lost access to their traditional accompaniers and assistants. So far, the federal government has announced only one specific measure for disabled Canadians, and that was a top-up to the Canada Student Benefits. So we'll be waiting to see what the federal government has to announce for Canadians with disabilities. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will begin the day in private meetings. He will also speak during the virtual Global Vaccine Summit before hosting a call with provincial and territorial premiers. He will then speak with the media to give an update on the COVID-19 situation. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, June the 4th. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.